Good morning. It's good to be get together on this Palm Sunday, and I know that it is warmer and a little sun shining, and so I'm just going to give permission right now for there to be musical chairs during the service. If you need to seek out the shade, don't hesitate to move around, because uh, I know that sitting uh, in that direct sun is it's, uh, could be brutal. So just permission to move around if you need to. So um, I loved how Ben Kai just walked us through some of those great days on the Christian calendar. And today, as he said, is Palm Sunday. And uh, we're in a season of the church that has been known as Lent. And that is 40 days that precede uh, Jesus conquering death by rising from the dead. And many are familiar with that day, Easter, that we're going to celebrate next Sunday that we hope to see packed out with family and friends, especially those who may not have received Jesus yet as Savior, and so we, we are looking forward to that day. We're also looking forward to Good Friday, uh, being inside and being able to worship and fix our eyes on Jesus for what he did on the cross. But today marks Palm Sunday, one week before the resurrection, and it was the day that Jesus humbly rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey and was declared by the masses of people to be the Messiah, the Savior, King. And look, we know that every single day we can celebrate the reality of these things. You know, every Friday, I'm thankful that Jesus died on the cross. Every Sunday, I can be amazed at the power of the resurrection. And yet today, uh, we're going to give special focus to this holy day, this holiday, if you will, that gives us this heightened awareness of the events that took place nearly 2,000 years ago when Jesus actually lived upon the earth. And so today, Palm Sunday, our teaching is still going to come from Mark chapter 9. This is where we've been. If you're new with us, we've been going through the gospel of Mark. And so you can open your Bibles there, Mark chapter 9. And later on in the message, we're also going to look at Matthew chapter 21. And so if you want to put a finger or a ribbon or open a new browser tab, however you do it, uh, Matthew chapter 21 is where we'll be as well. Let me uh, pray one more time for our morning together and see what God has to share with us. Lord God, we feel this warm sun upon us upon us, maybe not the people in the shade, but we, we feel it, Lord. We feel the warmth, and, and it reminds us, Lord, of your goodness, of your faithfulness. And on this Palm Sunday, Lord, we pray that above all, we would see your goodness, and we'd see what you have saved us from. So Jesus, let us have open hearts to receive. Let, let us have ears to hear what the Spirit would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last Sunday... We looked at this great teaching that Jesus gave to the disciples. And, you know, Jesus was preparing the disciples for how they were going to lead the church after his departure. But they had been bickering with one another about greatness. You know, they were on the road behind Jesus as they were going into Capernaum, arguing with one another about who would be, you know, first among them. And so once they're back in Capernaum, Jesus has a little sit down with the disciples. And he does something in that that I think became very memorable for the disciples. You know, to show them the greatness of being a servant of all, what he did is he took a child 
In taking that child, he put the child in the midst of them, and then he picked that child up into his arms, and he said in Mark chapter 9, verse 37, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And so with this picture in our minds for context, thinking of this child in the midst of Jesus and the disciples, have that in your mind. Let's now read our first verse in Mark chapter 9, verse 42, where it says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So Jesus is speaking some very serious words right now. And the words that we're going to read and understand and seek to live out today from the mouth of Jesus, they are very sobering truths, but they're very important for the disciples to understand. And today we're going to talk about God's love for children, the temptations of sin, and the real existence of hell. These are the topics of our Palm Sunday message. You ready? Here we go. So if someone causes a little one, and I understand that to be referring either to a small child, because again, contextually, there was just a small child in the midst of them, or a young believer in Jesus. That if someone causes one of these to sin, it would be better to hang a massive rock around their neck and be drowned in the deepest sea. Pretty heavy, and no pun intended there either. Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you turn, repent, and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that we need to have childlike faith. And look, Jesus valued children. In, in a day when children we're seen as the lowest of society. In, in our society, we place a high value on children. That's a good thing. And that should continue. We should always place such a high value upon children. But look, Jesus cares more about children than any of us ever will. He cares about the physical and emotional and spiritual needs of children. And Jesus reserved some of the harshest words for those who would try in some way to hurt children. Let me, let me read the verse again. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and thrown into the sea. And so again, by little ones, I, I believe Jesus to be referring to either children or those who are young and new in their faith. And so Jesus is saying that if you are an adult or a more mature believer, that if you tempt, uh, or, hold on, not necessarily a believer, I want to be careful with my words, especially today, somebody who is more mature, who tries to bring sin into a child's life, if a person tempts a child to sin, they will be judged. And this verse, I would say, is applied to those who try to harm children I'm just going to say it, you know, to molest or to hurt or to in any way endanger a child, either physically, emotionally, or spiritually, I believe this verse applies. I also think it applies to 
one who would try to tear down the faith of a new believer, try to get them to sin against God by not trusting in him. And here is what Jesus said to the people who would try to do this. He said, take a huge rock, a millstone, uh, which was anywhere from 500 to 1,000 pounds, was this rock disc that was used for treading out grain, tie that around your neck, and drown yourself in the ocean. Because doing that would be a lighter judgment than the judgment that God would have reserved for you. Notice, it would be better if you gave yourself the worst form of death, which probably many of us would agree, drowning is a pretty terrible way to go. If you gave yourself the worst form of death, it would be better than to experience the wrath that God would pour out upon such a person. And so Jesus first addresses those who will be judged for causing others to stumble, and then he talks about those who would sin themselves. Look at verse 43 to verse 45. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go into hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. So Jesus is using here, listen, very vivid and drastic measures that it would take to extricate sin from our lives, to remove sin from our lives. And so the message is simple, you guys, is that we need to kill sin or sin is going to kill you. Amen. Jesus speaks in drastic measures like this. And look, some people have taken him literally. I need to tell you right now. Jesus is not literally saying to go and saw off your hands and your feet or go gouge out your eyeballs. Uh, He's not telling us to literally cut off limbs. But what he is literally talking about is the problem of our sin. That's a very literal thing. And if sin is not dealt with through Jesus, then he says the judgment of hell remains. So here's one reason why I know that Jesus is not speaking literally when he says to cut off your hands or your feet or to gouge out your eyeballs. Because you can cut off your hand and still steal. You can cut off your feet and still run away from God's love. You can be blind because you've gouged out your eyeballs and still lust. Because the problem is that sin is in our heart, that it is in every part of our body. And so the goal is not to physically maim our body, but rather to allow Jesus to do spiritual surgery by extracting sin from our lives. Have you guys ever seen the movie Castaway? Tom Hanks gets stranded on an island with a volleyball, and uh, Wilson, and he ends up in this movie, I I think it's like one of the only scenes I really remember is that he ends up getting this tooth that's infected, and he uses the end of this ice skate with a rock to remove the tooth. I don't know, I forget how he even got the ice skate, but it's this gnarly sin where he's, he's like in this cave, and it's like you watch it and you want to pass out watching it. But, but it's this vivid picture, I believe, of how I want to deal with sin in my life. 
Because I know that if there is a known sin in my life, and I just allow it to be there, to grow and to fester, that it'll continue to bother me. And that sin, if I do not extricate it, if I do not remove that through Jesus and through confession, I know that unrepentant sin will continue to do more and more damage if it stays in my life. And so you think about that picture of removing something that is going to do so much damage. And it's a very clear picture of how we are to remove sin in our lives. And look, to remove sin, again, you don't need a saw. You don't need the end of an ice skate and a rock. What you need is you need to turn to Jesus. Amen? Jesus is the great physician who can surgically remove anything in our spiritual lives that is harming us or hurting us. He died on a cross to cleanse us of our sin. So turn to him. If you haven't yet confessed your sin before a holy and just God, confess it because Jesus can remove your sin by what he did on the cross. And then as you then live for him as a disciple of Jesus Christ, keep a short record of sin. Keep your hands from sin, because the hand symbolizes what we do. Keep your feet from sin. Our feet symbolize where we go. And keep your eyes from sin, as our eyes are the things that we see. I loved what Rob, Pastor Rob, told me this last week. He said, what if we stayed away from sin like we stayed away from COVID? You heard that, Rob? Ooh. Now, before we move on, we have to talk about the way that Jesus spoke about hell in this scripture. Again, if you're in the sun and you need to move over to the shade, don't hesitate. Um, we're going to talk about hell a little bit more today. First thing to know is that God does not want anyone to go to hell. Ezekiel 18 and Ezekiel 33 says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In 2 Peter 3, 9, that God desires that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And furthermore, I think it's worthy to note this, that Jesus is the one who spoke the most about the reality of hell in the Bible. More than the prophets before him and more than the apostles after him. And the reason why I think this is, is because God wanted hell to be spoken about with the greatest authority and the greatest love. And so it had to come from the mouth of Jesus. No one has greater authority, no one has greater love than Jesus. So Jesus is speaking clearly about hell as being this terrible place of judgment, and it shows us that no one should ever want to go there, and no one ever has to go there. Jesus does not send people to hell he rescues people from hell. And people have a choice. And when they go to hell, it is their choice. It is their choice because they chose to neglect so great of a salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ. They had a rescue. Jesus is the merciful escape, and yet they chose against him 
And so, listen, if hell is ultimately a place of the absence of Jesus, that's what people want, isn't it? If heaven is ultimately the presence of Jesus and there are people who do not want anything to do with Jesus, then the alternative is the way that it is because of the absence of Jesus. Hell is real and eternal and Jesus is not there. Hell, referred to in the scriptures, comes from this word Gehenna, the Greek translation for the Valley of Hinnom. And this was a place that was outside of Jerusalem's walls, the Valley of Hinnom. It was used as a location of false worship to a pagan god, god named Molech. And this was like the worst form of idolatry and worship in, among the people of Israel. That as they worshiped Molech, they would sacrifice their children in fire to this god. And this was a place that eventually was turned into a trash dump where waste was burned. And it was known for having worms and maggots and this constant smoldering of fires. And so Jesus used as a reference point this place to graphically speak about the fate of those who go to hell. Because hell is a place in the Bible that is called the lake of fire. We read that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 13 through 15. It's also a place that was and is prepared for the devil and demons. We read that in Matthew 25, 41. God did not create hell for people. He created it for the enemy. Here are a few things that we know about hell. We know that it is, from our text, a place of unquenchable fire. Continually burns hot without ending. And we all know the pain of being burned. I, I was sipping my coffee this morning in my car, I put it in one of those like vacuum sealed cups and I didn't realize how hot I'm how hot it was and I pulled it back from my mouth because of how hot it was. Listen, the fires of hell you can't pull back from them. They're unending. Well, technically you can. But you have to do it now in this life. You can't do it then. It's also called a place where their worm does not die. And I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. Right? Whether it's an actual worm that eats away at flesh, or as some have suggested, it could refer to kind of the, um, to the body of the person and the constant nagging of guilt uh, for not receiving Christ when they had the opportunity. Either way, I don't want it. And when it says there, it gives this idea that each person has their own personal worm that eats away at them. I want you also to notice in this description of hell where it says, where the worm does not die and fire is not quenched, that in some manuscripts of the Bible, that phrase is repeated three times. Now, I'm teaching today from the ESV. If you're using the ESV, if you look down, you might notice that verse 44 and verse 46 are missing. Now, before you freak out, who's taking Bible verses out of my Bible, especially when it's talking about hell? Oh, my goodness, what happened, right? If you have the New King James Version or the King James or the NASB, it, it's, it's in the text. If you have ESV, NIV, it's down in your footnotes, hopefully, that the phrase where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, 
that is repeated three times. Why? Because usually when something's repeated three times, it's meant to get our attention. Hell is also described elsewhere as everlasting destruction or outer darkness. Look, guys, in hell, there is no light of God there. And heaven is described as a place where there's no longer need for the sun or the moon. Again, if you're in the sun and you want to move, I'm just telling you, this is your opportunity. <laughs> Maybe you're like, ah, oh, I want to feel the sun because it's, it's reminding me of the heat, right? But listen, guys. In heaven, there is no more need for the sun or the moon because why? The lamb is the light. Jesus actually becomes the illuminating presence of heaven. And so if God is not in hell, then it is total darkness. And then there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, consequentially because of the pain that is described of hell. From my understanding of the scriptures, Every single person, whether believer or unbeliever, will receive a resurrected body. There are those who will be resurrected unto life and those who are resurrected unto death. From my understanding of the scriptures, those who will be in hell will experience that in a physical, resurrected way for all of eternity. There's no changing it after death. Now, right? Now you see why it is better to have a millstone hung around your neck and be cast into the ocean. Now you see why it is better to cut off one limb than to enter hell with two. Jesus said all of this, not me. Take it from him if you have a problem with hell. I choose today to fear the Lord, knowing that his judgments are terrifying, but this is also what I know. Jesus has offered us salvation. Jesus rescues us from hell. This is actually what we are being saved from, that God judged Jesus at the cross so that you and I do not need to endure any kind of judgment of hell. And so hell should disturb you. You shouldn't be able to think about hell without asking a lot of questions and longing for a lot of answers. Because when we discover the reality of hell and its terror, we should be moved to ensure that no one goes there. Starting with you and then your neighbor. I wish hell wasn't real. I, I wish universalism was biblical. Yet I hold to the authority of Scripture. Jesus spoke about hell in this way, and so it is my duty to do the same. And so to be faithful to God and to his word, we have to have the right kind of fear. We cannot downplay God's judgment. To be faithful to God and his word, we have to understand the entirety of God's love. We cannot downplay the love of God. It is so great. And to be faithful to God and his word, we have to understand the penalty of our sin. We cannot downplay our sin. We must preach that God has judged our sin by Jesus dying on the cross. That's how much he loves you. 
Jesus died on the cross to remove the judgment of sin and death and hell that hung over our heads. And so to reject God's love to forgive us of our sins is to accept the judgment of God upon yourself. It is to accept hell. No one ever has to do that. Because God is merciful to give us salvation. Amen? Amen. Let's look at verse 49 and 50. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. What does that mean? The last bit there, which we're not going to spend a great deal of time on, has some various interpretations. And I, I'm just going to give you two main interpretations. Salt can refer to, in the Bible, as a preserving agent. If you study the Bible, you understand that. Salt was a preserving agent. They didn't have refrigeration back then. And so to be salted with fire could mean that those who go to hell, those who are separated from God, that they will be preserved through the eternal fire of hell. However, some take this to actually be that Jesus was speaking to his disciples, those that would believe in him, which is that believers also will be salted with fire. And what does fire refer to in the Bible for believers? Suffering and the Holy Spirit. And so perhaps what Jesus is speaking about is that he is wanting to set us apart as believers. He's wanting to purify us and sanctify us for eternity. And so in this life, we may have to endure trials and tribulations and sufferings of different kinds that in this life, either the suffering of God or the Spirit of God will refine us. And can't that both be true? That God refines us as believers, both by his Spirit and also by sufferings in this life. Now, what does all of this have to do with Palm Sunday? Why are we talking about hell on Palm Sunday? In one sense, here's why. Because at this church, we teach verse by verse through books of the Bible. <laughs> and so, in large measure, the reason why uh, we do this is because we want to teach the whole counsel of God's word. Look, if it were up to me to decide what I teach on every week, do you think that I would choose to teach on hell very often? No, I would not. The best part about teaching the Bible this way is that I never have to choose to teach on hell. I just teach on hell when the Bible does. And today it happened to be in our study of God's word through the Gospel of Mark that we were on the topic of hell. Yet I find that it's actually very fitting that this is where we found ourselves in God's word on Palm Sunday. In fact, I find that this is the exact message that we needed to hear coming into Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Why? Because Good Friday and Easter Sunday will shine with that much more brilliance on the backdrop of the darkness of hell that we've heard here on Palm Sunday. Have you ever gone to look at diamonds? They put the black velvet behind so you can see as it shines in all the facets, as it, as it makes you want to buy it, right? Good Friday, where Jesus died on the cross, and Easter Sunday, where Jesus rose from the dead, is going to shine with that much more brilliance because we're realizing what we have been saved from on Palm Sunday. Amen? 
Amen. Look, every person has to die twice. You ever heard this idea? Every person has to die twice. The first death every one of us will experience. We're all going to die. Hopefully not by drowning. Right? Or fire. Exactly. Not how I want to go. But all of us will die. Yet, all of us are going to experience also a second death. And the second death is referred to in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 and 15 as this. Then death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. That's hell. And if anyone's name is not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, those who received Jesus by faith, received his grace and his mercy of salvation, they will not experience the second death. Why? Because a believer in Christ, when they die physically, they've already died twice. Right? Because isn't to be a believer to deny self? To take up your cross and follow Jesus? You've already died once, if you're a believer. You died with Jesus. So your second death is the physical death that you will die, and then it's all for eternity in heaven with God. However, those who choose to save themselves in this life and do not die to self, but choose to live for self, they will taste the second death that Jesus described there as hell. And so Jesus died on Good Friday and rose again on Easter Sunday to give you eternal life so that he could save you from the second death, which is hell. Now, as we end today, I want to look at two moments briefly of the triumphal entry accounts of Jesus in Matthew. So turn to Matthew chapter 21. Jesus on Palm Sunday entered into Jerusalem. It was the Sunday before he would die on a cross in There's two things I want to reflect on as we close, which is Jesus weeping and children rejoicing. Okay? Jesus weeping and children rejoicing. First, Jesus weeping. Jesus was on the Mount of Olives coming down into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Luke 19 and Matthew 23, I know you're not there, but we see our Savior standing upon this mountain. Luke 19, 41 and 42, it says, He drew near and he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, have known this day the things that make for peace. And then in Matthew 23, 37, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as hen gather her brood under her wings but you were not willing. Jesus wept over those who did not realize that his visitation brought them peace. Jesus wept over those who would not be gathered into Jesus like a hen gathers in its chicks, that it wants, he wants to protect us, that he wants to cover us in the shadow of his wings, that he could be our refuge from this pain. That caused Jesus to weep. And listen, brothers and sisters, fellow believers, would we be saying in Hosanna, break my heart for what breaks yours. 
the fact that people didn't realize the day of his visitation, the things that made for peace, and that they didn't want to be gathered into Jesus, that made him weep. And the same is true today. Jesus weeps over the lost who do not realize their need for peace and reconciliation with God, who do not realize that Jesus wants to gather them in. And then I want to look at children rejoicing, and that is in Psalm 21, verse 14 and 16. Once he's already down the Mount of Olives, past all the people waving the palm branches, laying down their coats for him to walk in, Jesus makes his way to the temple. He cleanses it because he says, this is to be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. And then he comes into the temple. We read in Matthew chapter 21, verse 14 and 16. And the blind and the lame were coming to him in the temple and he healed them. How beautiful is that? on Palm Sunday. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, listen, the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, which means save now, Hosanna to the son of David, you, uh, the, the religious leaders, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. It all comes back to that first scene we had in our minds where Jesus set a child in the midst of his disciples, picked that child up into his arms, and said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. He then later said, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. Teach our children not to touch stoves. They learn pretty quickly to pull back. Would we be like children today? And pull back, turn back, from the fires of hell. We would turn toward Jesus because he is willing and able to gather us in. Because he died on the cross, he has made peace through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, so that we could be reconciled to a holy and just God. And in order to do that, in order to receive the kingdom, in order to evade hell and enter heaven, you must be like a child who trusts and rejoices in their Savior King who says, Hosanna, Jesus, save me now. Have you denied self and taken up your cross to follow Jesus yet? Have you died that first death yet? Because to save your life, you have to lose it. And to lose your life now for Jesus and the gospel's sake is to save it. And what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So today... And agree with me if you believe it is true that Jesus Christ has visited us by his word. And he has told us today the things that make for peace. He has given us a chance to turn from our sins and to turn from him. And you can do that today by trusting Jesus. That he died on a cross for your sin. For your sin. You have to admit that you have sinned against God and that there is a judgment for that sin and receive 
by his death and resurrection, eternal life, because he has removed that from you. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus, because there is no sacrifice too great that will keep you from hell. That is why God sent his only son, the greatest sacrifice. So whatever sacrifice you think you have to make to follow Jesus, turning from whatever way you've been living and turning toward Jesus, it is nothing in compared to what Jesus did. And it is nothing of, of so great a sacrifice than to experience separation from God for all of eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your good news. Lord, we turn our eyes upon you now, Jesus, and we ask, Lord, that you would save now. Hosanna. 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 Save now, Jesus. Amen. Amen.